Wow, that was absolutely gorgeous. Thank you, Natalie, and the whole worship team. Incredibly beautiful there. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome again. Thank you. Uh, for those of you, especially who are new, we are in the midst of a series we're calling Life Without Lack. We're walking through... Um, Psalm 23, and I thought I'd do just a little bit of a recap. We've been in Psalm 23 for the last several weeks, and it's really been rich. The, the first verse of the psalm, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack, I shall not want. It's, we, we recognize this as an invitation to a different kind of, of life, a life where God is our shepherd, that we're not calling the shots, that, that we're not determining is, is human nature. We want to be our own guide and leader and shepherd. And David is saying, I found a different kind of life where Abba Father, Jesus Christ, is the good shepherd. And it's a life of contentment. An amazing life where he would be able to say, I'll lack nothing. I'll want for nothing with him as my shepherd. Verse 2, we looked at the, the first marching orders that our shepherd, our good shepherd gives us. And he was not this taskmaster. He was not, okay, do this and that and that. In fact, we noticed that he is focused in on our soul and who we are. That he invites us first not to, to go to the front lines of the battle and do great things for his glory, but he says, no, I want to lead you by these, these pastures that are this tender grass, these flush green pastures, the, the, the water that's, that's quiet and that's still. I'm going to lead you and, and I'm going to restore your soul. Before we do anything else, reminded of Jesus' invitation that he is humble and gentle. And he says, come to me, all who are weary. And in the third verse, we saw him say that I will guide you. I will direct your path. If you let me, I, I, will, I will lead you on paths of righteousness. And as Tracy so wonderfully pointed out last night, part of his shepherding in our, uh, yesterday, last week on Sunday, <laughs> so wonderfully he leads us when we get into paths of unrighteousness. He graciously, gently directs us back to the paths of righteousness. Those are the first three verses we looked at. And you know, I was thinking about how full those verses are, how amazing like to, to do that. I'm ready to be done with the psalm. In fact, I'm, I'm no David, right? I, I've never been a shepherd, and I'm pretty sure I'm not going to have the opportunity to be a king, right? But if I were writing the psalm, what more do you need? 
right? I, I mean, David's like on the cusp of writing the best psalm ever, right? Well, I mean, if you're really doing all those things, if you've really invited God as your shepherd, if you're allowing him to restore and renew your soul, and then he says, I'll guide you, pass of righteousness there, what more do you need, right? In fact, I thought just one more verse is all the psalm needs. And I wanted to see, I'm going to read this verse to you, see if you guys would be willing to swap this verse for the rest of the psalm. Are you ready? Uh, We have it up here. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Life is good, peaches and cream. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a great addition? I mean, just end it there and done, right? That's a drop the mic, right? I mean, that'd be perfect. But surprising to perhaps no one but me, David doesn't do that. In fact, for some reason, he goes the exact opposite of life is good. Peaches and cream. He talks about a deep darkness. He talks about a shadow. And it's not just any shadow. It's the darkest of shadows. It's the shadow that death itself casts. And it talks about us going through that dark shadow. Why, David, you started so well. Aren't we talking about the good life? Aren't we talking about the abundant life? Aren't we talking about a life of contentment? Does the the shadow of death really belong in the conversation? Why would you do that? Well, let's read the psalm together enjoyed us closing our eyes and just taking it in, hearing the repetition of words, listen deeply to the psalm. And we're gonna ask that question of why does David introduce such a a hard subject? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths, paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. 
for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I received a, a message from a friend. It's the message that you, you never want to get. It was just within this uh, last week. We'll call him William. He's a dear friend of mine. He's a sacred friend of mine. And he had been to the doctors because of issues about my same age. And though uh, they're waiting for the final results, all the numbers indicate cancer in the colon. I could hear a sadness in his voice. In fact, uh, he, he's a writer. He did some writing, reflecting to, to some of us. And it was a, it was a beautiful so real and honest. He said, you know, I, I want to be here for my kids. I want to be here for my wife. I want to be here for my community of faith and my friends. He said, I wept. And for me, I always go to the Why? I can't help it. That's just, I, I go, and, and, and here's this friend, William, that he, he's just a beautiful soul. If there's anyone that is pressing after the things of God, it is William. If there's anyone that is seeking to, to bless and lead people towards Jesus, it's my friend. And, and, and why? I mean, if we talk about a Psalm 23 life, he spends time, he spends more time than I do with Jesus being restored in his soul. He's got this beautiful prayer life that, that's there. He, that there's so much there. He is living Psalm 23 and this diagnosis. Just did the, the funeral yesterday for a dear saint. Some of you know her. She was a part of our community of faith, Carol Kimber. And to hear her family and friends share and, and to know her. It's about the, the gentlest person you've, you'll ever meet. The, uh, her, her son said about her that she was more forgiving than anybody else on the planet. What, what a statement. What a picture of Psalm 23. And yet we say goodbye to her 
and let go of her. The only thing that I could think of is that how amazing it is that David somehow, inspired by the Spirit, he does not ask the question of why. He just knows. He just accepts that, that the, the Psalm 23 life is not a life that, is, that suffering is absent. The, the Christian life is not the life that is free from diagnosis. That's not God's promise. That, that the Christian life has trouble and difficulty. That's just what it is. And I think everything in me wants to say, boy, if I'm living life right before God, life is good, peaches and cream. Amen. Yes, and I want the amen to that. Amen. And yet, biblically, that's not how it is. That's not the testimony of Psalm 23. The testimony of Psalm 23 is that the life without lack does not mean a life without trouble or difficulty or pain or a diagnosis or even suffering. In fact, this, these lines, verses 4 and 5, remind me of Jesus' words, the good shepherd, John 16, 33. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Oh, yes, peace. If I follow Jesus, the good shepherd, shalom. And then right after that, he says, in this world you will have trouble. Wait, Jesus, I just, I thought you were just, I thought you were talking about peace. What, what's, the, what's the trouble business? He does say, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The apostle Paul even puts it more harshly as sometimes the apostle Paul can do. He was speaking to the Thessalonians and, and he says about trouble and suffering, he says, I don't want you to be unsettled by them. First Thessalonians 3, 3. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. What? Destined. In fact, he goes on to say, this is what we were talking about. When we were with you, we told you, we prepared you. If, and in, I'm paraphrasing Paul's words here, but he's saying, if you're going to truly be living gospel, if you're going to be living the life that God wants you to, you will face trouble. You will suffer. You will struggle. Paul says, you'll be destined for it. And again, he in a beautiful way. We could talk about whys. 
We live in a broken world. We have an enemy of our soul. We could talk about all those whys. But, but David doesn't. And so I'm not going to. But what I think that David does do, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says that life without lack, you're going to walk through the different valleys and the struggles and the shadow, but your experience is going to be radically different in this different kind of life. And no matter how deep the shadow is, right? No matter how deep the, the valley is or how dark the shadow is, nothing can pull away your contentment in his life because he's with you. There's a number of uh, uh, three things that really stuck out to me from Psalm 23 in why David would, would lead what he would have to say about suffering and dark shadows and the dark night of the soul. Uh, the first why, I, I think, or, or not the first why, the first how, the first how we live through this in a Psalm 23 kind of way, how we live in these times in a life of contentment is really about the first three verses that we've already covered. In many ways, I believe the first three verses prepare us and set us up for the valleys, for the darkness. He's saying, yes, if you, if you have really allowed God to be your shepherd, if you've allowed him, if you're living in rhythms of renewal and restoration and internal work of God, if you're really allowing him to lay down the righteous path for you to walk, then your experience of the valley is going to be far different than if you're not. Yes? Yes? That, that you then, you're prepared for those dark times. Maybe someday I'll stop asking why. I don't know. But what, you'll be prepared for that. I was thinking of some of the different times and struggles in my own life that, that I've faced and I've realized how I've handled them has been so different when I'm in a good place with the Lord versus when I'm not in a good place with the Lord. When, when, when my soul is full, I was thinking of uh, time in seminary and uh, there's a time when I felt like the Lord was asking me to fast. A couple of meals. I don't consider myself a very good faster. I really, really like food a lot. Um, but every once in a while, there's different times, and I feel like the Lord's inviting me to do that. It was one of those times it was curious, so I thought through that and prayed through that, and I fasted. And then there was a couple of friends that went to my pastor with some critical words towards me. I really wish they would have come to me first. I really wish they wouldn't have talked to my supervisor about it. I really wish there would have been an opportunity to, to dialogue. I didn't feel, process the words. I didn't feel they were accurate. 
But you know, I was in such a good place with the Lord. I'd been fasting. And when my supervisor processed these words with me, I said, ah, (laughs) he was preparing me for these hard words. There's another time, thinking, when my, my soul was so weary, I was not allowing him to bring me by quiet waters. And I was just tired. And critical words came from a friend. Boy, I did not let that go well. Boy, I struggled with that. And and in fact, there was a similarity there that they weren't brought to me first, though I wish they would have, that didn't process them. And yet my response, there was this this hardship and it it just gave me desires to just, all right, I'm out, whatever. It led me to unhealthy places. Friends, I think part of the message of Psalm 23 is dark valleys are in our lives. It doesn't matter if you're righteous or unrighteous. It doesn't matter if you're wealthy or poor or black or white. It does not matter. Dark valleys are part of the journey. And how our soul is with the Lord will make all the difference in the world. Listen to uh, the Apostle Paul. He was saying this. He said uh, in Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. That's how you used to live. That's the non-Psalm 23 life where fear dominates, anxiety dominates, sin dominates, not for those who are led by the Holy Spirit. He says... Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughterhood. What the Holy Spirit is doing in your life or wants to do in your life is that relationship of father-son, father-daughter, shepherd-soul, bringing that sense of relationship. And we cry, Abba. The best English translation of Abba is dad. Abba. Dad. Father. The spirit himself testifies to our spirit. We talked about this last week, right? Little spirit. We all have a little spirit within, the Holy Spirit is teaching. 
is working, is ministering, is testifying that we are God's children. Friends, if you are in a dark shadow right now and you're struggling deeply, would you go back to the first three verses of Psalm 23? What does it look like to choose him as my shepherd, to let him speak and minister and testify and restore my soul? What's the path of righteousness that he's inviting us to? William, my friend, in such a, an authentic and powerful way, I, I told you he was, he was sharing that he wept and that he was crying and he was telling the Lord, I want to be there for my kids. I want to be there for my wife. And in the same breath, he said, Eric, I don't know if this will change, but I'm not afraid to die. There's a part of me that, that delights in being with the Lord. That same truth coming from William, he said, I, I know if he takes me, I'm gonna have to entrust my kids to his faithful care. Entrust my wife to his faithful care. And if he doesn't take care of him, he will have to reckon with me in heaven. <laughs> I said, William, I'm sure Jesus is quaking in his sandals this very moment. But you see, William... He's been with Jesus. He, he's been with his good shepherd. This, this diagnosis is not a, a, a shock to Jesus. He, he didn't make a mistake. I, I don't know, but it's, it, it's part of the journey and the walk. Friends, especially if you're in the deep darkness now. What are the sacred rhythms of the soul that you need to embrace so that you continue to live a life without lack, even in the valley, even in the darkness? There's a second how that I got from verses four and five, and this has to do with the, the tools, if you will, of the shepherd. The, the, the rod and the staff. Let me read verse four and five. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I was thinking about the interesting fact that I think that David could have just said, your, your, your staff is good, 
Or he could have just said rod, but he included both. I thought, why? Why? What is it about those? It's been said that the rod is an instrument of authority. It's used not only for protection, but for discipline. And the staff is an instrument of support and guidance and encouragement. And I was thinking, I take comfort that my good shepherd has both. And part of walking through the dark valley, I think, is embracing not just the staff. Who doesn't want to embrace God's staff, right? But to embrace the rod as well. I was reading a little bit of David's life. This comes from 2 Samuel 7. It was his coronation. It was God speaking to him and about him, to others. He was making him king. And God was promising this. 2 Samuel 7 says, this is the Lord speaking. I will be his father. He says this about David, the author. Psalm 23. And he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. Boy, that doesn't, it's not a nice coronation word, is it? But my love will never be taken away from him. I, I wondered if because of this coronation that David included rod in the shepherd's hand. I, I, I wondered if, if it, especially in the darkness, there, there's a comfort and there's a strength, not only that our shepherd carries a big stick. But he's going to discipline us even in the darkness. And in fact, he might discipline us even in ways that we will not be able to hear if we're not in the darkness. In fact, maybe, sometimes, I wouldn't say always, That's because we're on an unrighteous path that we found ourselves in a dark valley. And God's got to show us the way out. I think to embrace the rod, I'm learning. I'd be lying to you if I felt like I had this down. It's certainly not my first instinct my first instinct is to say, God, help, get me out of this darkness. That's my first instinct. If I'm praying, if I'm listening, sometimes by his grace, I can say, God, what are you teaching me in this darkness? 
What's off in my soul? Is there an unrighteousness or sin there? Is is there a brokenness that's because of someone else's sin that you want to heal in my soul? You see? Lord, what are you doing in the midst of this? That's embracing. I think that's why David included the rod. I want to say one more thing about 2 Samuel, that that passage. You recognize the language in there of father and son and rod wielded by men and flogging. But my love will never be taken away. Does that make you think of anyone? It's kind of obvious, right? It was Jesus. There's a preparation in Jesus. Did you know that the staff, the shepherd's staff shows up later in the New Testament and specifically in the Gospels? It's in Mark 27. It's when Jesus was being ridiculed and mocked. And the Roman soldiers brought him and he says, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns, set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand in mockery. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and they took that staff and struck him on the head again and again. To think of the irony and the the love of God that he would allow his son to be stricken by the staff, forsaken, so that we might be brought close and into a relationship with our good shepherd. And that Jesus would someday use that staff to shepherd us in gentleness and love and kindness. Only God. It's been said the end of verse four is that the center of the psalm. You notice the language of the psalm begins in, in the third person, the Lord is my shepherd. He's telling us about the Lord. But then he says, I will fear no evil for you. Then he begins to address the shepherd personally, one-on-one. You are with me. And it makes all the difference in the world. Jesus dies on the cross, separates the curtain, beckons us in, 
because of his death, we can be with the shepherd. Jesus suffered so terribly in the forsakenness, in the shadow of death, so that we wouldn't have to. So that we, even in the darkness, would know God's presence. Even in the shadow. We would say, I'm going through this. I'm struggling through this. But God, you are with me. Thomas Merton is one of my favorite authors. He's an American scholar, theologian. He's passed away. He was a, a Trappist monk and a mystic. And uh, he wrote in uh, one book, he wrote Thoughts in Solitude. And he wrote 15 lines that has become part of what's referred to as the Merton Prayer. And here's the 15 lines. I I should have put them on the screens, but I I didn't have a chance to, so I'm just going to read them to you. So listen to this prayer, Thoughts in Solitude. He says, My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire to please you. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may, not know, I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me. And you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Friends, that is the center of Psalm 23. That is why David, inspired by the Spirit, talks of the deepest darkness. One last observation move to communion, the, the final how I would say I would call the limits of evil and the power of God. Look at verse five again with me. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. That doesn't make sense, does it? That's such an awkward visual. Why would David say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies? Isn't that odd? Am I the only one that finds that odd? Do you find that odd? 
I mean, I get the visual like there's this huge banquet table of food, the choicest food. The anointing of the oil is a, is a picture of hospitality. You are experiencing the hospitality of the one true living God. Your shepherd picks up the pitcher and he pours it in your cup and it overflows God's grace and mercy and abundance and presence and goodness, all of that is overflowing. But right in the midst of that, if you're in your living room and you're eating this table, you have your enemies who hate you, who despise you. Maybe they're, they're raging at you. I am going to bring you down. I have schemes that is going to dismantle your life. And what's our response to those threats and those schemes? This is the best piece of cheesecake I have ever had. Can it, Jesus, can I give them some of that cheesecake? Because this is so good. It, it just doesn't fit, does it? What's he saying in the midst of this? He is saying that it doesn't matter how fierce or ferocious your enemies are. It doesn't matter how deep the darkness is. It doesn't matter the diagnosis that you have received. It does not matter because you have a shepherd who carries a bigger stick than anyone else. Amen. And no one, not life or death, or angels, or demons, or schemes of the enemy can take you from the hand of your good shepherd. So it doesn't matter who is in the room with you, you get to enjoy the beauty and the banquet of the one true living God. We were praying this morning for the service and someone was praying that we focus on the thorns that choke out faith and life. And we need to stop focusing on the thorns. Stop focusing on the darkness. Stop focusing on the enemy and focus on the shepherd and his abundance that's right before us. I know we're running out of time but I wanted to share this, I'm going to call it a life shape with you. Felt led to make it into a prayer shape. Um, and uh, there's six sides to the sh sh shape. And I wanted to encourage you. I asked you a couple of weeks ago for five minutes just to sit with Psalm 23. Now I want to encourage you this week to begin to pray conversationally Psalm 23. So what that would look like is say, Father, today I declare you as my good shepherd. I am so thankful for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. I want to give to you the leadership of my day. Would you shepherd me, Lord? Lord, would you help me not to uh, neglect your invitation of the renewal of my soul? Help me not to rush to work, 
but to be with you. Lord, restore my soul. Lord, would you lead me on paths of righteousness? If there are paths of unrighteousness and I'm bringing dishonor to your name, would you show me that, reveal that to me? I might receive your truth and understanding. You get the idea of the whole psalm. Would you take that? Maybe this afternoon, maybe before you go to work tomorrow, would you pray through the psalm? I'd like to invite the elders forward. We have communion set up, a station for each section. Go to your right to take that. We're doing this by intinction. That means is you can take a cracker, um, you dip it in the juice and you take the element with you right there at the station and then you return back to the left. Someone had mentioned they, they don't like intinction that much because of all the germs. That's okay. You know, this is a physical representation of the spiritual reality, right, of his cross. So if you don't want to dip the, the cracker in the juice all the way, we're, we're not legalistic here, right? That's, we're being mindful of the spiritual reality that the physical points us to, right? And also, if there's a line that's shorter, you can go to the other line, okay? All right. It was the night in which Jesus was betrayed. He was in the darkest valley. He was there. And he knew in some mysterious way that he would have to go through the forsakenness because of our sin so that we might be united with our shepherd through his sacrifice. Took the bread after he'd given thanks, he blessed it and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after dinner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant. He was talking about a different relationship, a different way to live, a different life with our good shepherd. He said, when you take this, do this in remembrance of me, we remember his sacrifice. We remember that he alone is the source of our salvation and that he alone will return one day to bring the renewal of all things. 
if you are a follower of Christ, if you've committed your life, then would you come? If you are not a follower of Christ, you get to give your life in this moment. You get to ask Jesus to be your good shepherd in this moment. And maybe for the first time, come and take communion or the first time in a long time, take communion. All is ready. Would you come and receive?